I would like to begin with the words of our late and beloved Rabbi Cheryl Lewert, whose book just arrived to our uh, sanctuary, our KI, our synagogue, yesterday. So they were unloaded off the truck. You have the first copies in your hand of the work that she completed just before her death um, with the help of so many loving people here uh, in this room uh, who made her life stream of sharing her blessings come true. Um, and for all of us, we should live long enough to see what we really care about come to fruition with the help of people who love and support us. So in loving memory of Rabbi Cheryl Lewert, I dedicate this course of study. Uh, and so we will be quoting from her book as we move through our study. We have copies here for you. Um, even if it's something that you only look at twice, then please write a note in here and send it to somebody who you think can use it. Um, we're going to have lots of copies of them um, going forward. So please keep it in mind as a gift to offer somebody who's going through a transition, who's going through things in their own life and might can use words of bracha, words of blessing, a loving blessing put in their hands. So I'm going to look at her book on page two of the text. This is the bracha that she entitles Inner Awareness based on Genesis 12, which is, of course, lech lecha, the commandment to Abraham to go, to set out on a journey. So as we begin our journey through text study and Jewish spirituality together, I would like to um, offer the words inner awareness on page two. Be aware of the moment when you know that things must change. Notice when the inner journey of your life must begin. The instant you must push back, stand up, and walk out the door. May you begin your exploration from wherever you are right now. May you journey into yourself until all your dreaming potential becomes realized in ways yet unknown. May you walk with hope and with courage and make your life a blessing, to which we say together, May our study be for a blessing. We begin where we are. Why does Rabbi Luer quote these words? We begin where we are. Because the most important thing for us is to engage fully. So we step out of ego. We step out, we step out of comparison. We step out of, I don't even know what I'm doing here because I don't know any Hebrew. Or I don't know anything Jewish. Or, 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 or. Like she's asking us, as have rabbis, for countless generations. She's asking us to step out of what we think we need to be, where we think we ought to be, and to start exactly where we are. You came here out of something that told you it's time to engage with this topic, with this learning, with this community, with ideas, with anything maybe. Um, doesn't matter. You are exactly where you're supposed to be, to be a part of this chevra, to be a part of this learning experience. If this is something we decide we really love doing together, we're not ending this class. You can come in, you can come out, but we're going to keep going um, if we decide this is where we want to be. So I am as open as you are to where this goes and what it becomes and, uh, and where we go from here. But this, hmm? I'm sorry? Why are we doing this more frequently? 
Will we have an associate rabbi? We will do this a little more frequently. It really is right now just about the schedule. Um, Rabbi Rubin is tied up with a lot of, obviously, goodbye events. I'm tied up with trying to learn a lot about what he's doing and stepping stepping in. And uh, we just don't have anybody doing the work of the associate. You know, we just need one more body in the house. And we'll be, I'll be much happier to be in here than doing the other stuff that I'm doing right now. Um, so we're going to begin uh, with the first chapter, the first section of Jewish mysticism and the spiritual life. I've given out all my copies. So if someone next to you does not have a copy, please share with them the handouts. We can make more available. Oh, and Eleanor's going to make some more. Excellent. And Lois has an extra. Who needs? So we're going we're gonna to start with this first text because I want to give us a flavor of what it means to study Jewish texts. And the rabbis give us a model for what studying Jewish texts is about in a tale that they tell of uh, four students who go into a pardes, an orchard, to study. And it's a very interesting Talmudic story what happens to those four. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but what we do get is a teaching there in the Talmud about the, what they call the orchard. And the orchard is in Hebrew, pardes. So for those of you who read Hebrew, pay, resh, dalet, samech, pardes is an orchard. We're, we're um, doing this so that you can have a podcast of this class and or send it as a link to someone um, uh, who wants to study and can't be here and folks may drop in and out so this way you'll have every single class that we teach in the series as a podcast which is downloadable on iTunes. Thanks to Bert Kleinman, um, all of our classes, our sermons, all of those things are now on iTunes and you can get them on our website as well which I can tell you at the end of class. So pardes, the orchard. So in Hebrew, of course, Hebrew is an unvocalized language. So these are the consonants, pardes. You have to put in the vowels to pronounce it, right? To say these consonants as a word, you have to put in the vowels. Pardes. So, but the rabbis say pardes is how we study texts. So what it breaks down into is the first level anytime we encounter a text is the pshat. And the pshat is the literal meaning of the text. The actual literal meaning of the text, which is generally a text from Torah. Generally a reference to scripture. So we get the pshat, the simple, straightforward meaning. Then the rabbis say, under that, if you go a little deeper, if you hang with it and study, you'll find remez. And remez in Hebrew, means a hint. So if you go a little bit deeper than just the straightforward meaning, you get a hint of something else. So that's the next level that we have to go to, which means you have to stay with it long enough to get to Remez. Under Remez is Drash. Drash is the deeper meaning of the text. In English, we might say the metaphorical, right? So what is the metaphor pointing to? Don't think Jacob left his home. God forbid it means he just left his home. 
Abraham left his home and his country and his family. God forbid you should think it just means on the shot level that he left. The remez is there's a leave taking here. What is, what is leave taking about, right? That's the remez. That's, there's a hint that there's something going on deeper here about leave taking. Drash is why is it in the order that it says his country, his family, his city, his family, his home? Because what it's pointing to is that's the order in which we leave. That's the order. And we go to a deeper discussion of what it means to take leave of each of those things. If we stay long enough, Jewish tradition believes that the ultimate student of Torah gets to sowed. The secret. There is a secret meaning to every single verse, possibly even every single word of Torah. The rabbis believe that God looked through the Torah to create the world. The Torah was the blueprint for the world. So if Torah refers to all things at all times and every level of human experience, then there must be a mystical secret meaning to everything. So we try to stay with a text long enough to go from the literal understanding to what it's hinting at, to maybe a, a drash to an explication, an unpacking of the theme, the eternal question of that text, all the way down to the mystical teaching of that text, the sod, the secret. What Jewish mysticism does is try always to get to the sod. That's where they want to live, is in the sod. And that's what Jewish spiritual teaching is all about. Even if we begin at a concept that ultimately is sowed, something we know as a universal truth, a, a mystical truth, the rabbis, because we are who we are, we're a text-based tradition, we're the people of the book, we always read that somehow back in to Torah, into Pshat. So the language of Jewish spirituality is not generalizations. It starts with a verse of Torah. So some people read what we're about to read and go, why do they keep like, quoting from Proverbs and Job and verses that clearly are fetched somehow to have something to do with this topic? <laughs> because for us, that's the point. We play with the texts. The text is a sandbox. That's the rabbi sandbox. And they love playing with those words. So if you get a letter from your new lover, do you just read it for the content? Oh, Thursday, 7.30. Okay, great. A new BFF that you're hanging out with. Oh, coffee, next Wednesday, noon, great. No, how do you read that? You're like, dearest Amy, comma. Dearest Amy, right? So. We, we read into every single nuance of that letter when it means something to us, when it's deep, when it's coming from a place that we want to know every single possibility going on there. We unpack it so much differently. This is how the rabbis read Torah. It's a love letter. That makes Torah a very different business than memorizing the details of where they camped on their way from Egypt to the promised land. Right? So 
That's what we do. We play eternally with that text to talk about even what might be universal spiritual truths. So open, if you have a Bible in front of you, open it please to Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Share with people around you because we're not going to hang out in the Torah text very long. No idea. Genesis 18. Chapter 18, verse 3. Page 87 in the women's commentary, the, the green book. Somebody have it in the red book yet? Page 100 in the red book. In the brown book, you're on your own, sorry. 18-3. Now, part of this class is for you to figure out how to use a Bible. It's okay to struggle and not know what page. That's okay. These, this is your Bible. Find Genesis. Find chapter 18. Then look at English that's directly across from Hebrew, because otherwise it's commentary. If it's directly across from Hebrew, it's translation. Anything below is commentary. Chapter 18, verse number 3. All right, we good? For the most part? All right, somebody read, please, the English of that sentence. Verse 3. He said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, then wash your feet and recline under a tree, and let me bring a bit of bread, and you can restore yourself. Then you can go on, now that you have come across your servant. And they responded, Very well, do as you propose. Abraham then Is that the end of verse 3? Oh, that's way. Way, way. Okay. So what was verse 3? My lords, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. All right. That is what this entire first teaching is on. That sentence. That sentence. This is how the game goes. It's a deep, amazing, millennia-old game that is the way we play in the mystical universe as Jews. So what we hope to do together is learn a little bit about that. How do the rabbis do that? What does that even mean? How do we have a whole like, section of this book based on that verse? What? That's crazy. We're Jews. It's a little crazy. So suspend your Western, linear, Aristotelian, Greek philosophy mind. Suspend it. Just put it aside. You're Jews. And what we're going to do is play with this line of Torah. All right. So who's talking in our verse? Verse 18. Who, who's speaking? Abraham. Abraham is speaking. So first lesson. When you get them quoting any rabbi anywhere in Talmud, in Midrash, in Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, doesn't matter. Anytime they quote a line of Torah, you have to go to Torah. And you have to look it up. First lesson in rabbinical school. Go look it up. Because often, 
they're talking about two lines before. And part of the game is do you know that? <laughs> so we got to know who's talking to know what's going on here. Even at the shot, we need at least the shot understanding. So in our text, Abraham, right, is talking to whom? Oh, 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 God, the angels. All right, let's go back. Go back, because this is how we study. Go back a couple of verses. What just happened before this got said? The Lord appeared to Three men appeared to Abraham. That happens just before this. Good. Excellent. What happened just before that? The Lord appeared to him. Aha. Right before the three men appear, what is the Hebrew? Lord is English. Adonai. Adonai. You see where I'm going already? All right. Abraham's hanging out under the terebinth at Mamre. And this is right after he has been circumcised at the age of 97, something like that. Ouch. Abraham is recovering. Abraham is recovering from surgery that was not pleasant, right? That was debilitating, essentially. And he's sitting at the opening of his tent at the heat of the day, if you check your text. It's hot. He's just had surgery for circumcision, and he's elderly. What would you be doing? Would you be sitting at the entrance to your tent at the heat of the day? No. What would you be doing? Lying down inside. Lying down inside, packed in ice. You would be doing as little as possible. You'd be in the coolest place possible where no one would bother you. Right? That's what all of us would do. Torah knows that. The rabbis know that. Our mystical teachers know that. So what do you think they say about Abraham sitting at the entrance of the tent at the heat of the day? Why is he doing it? He expected them. The rabbis say unless he has foresight, he can't expect them, but he knows somebody might come by. And God forbid he should miss an opportunity to demonstrate hospitality. So even in that condition, he is looking for people to whom he can extend hospitality and invite them in. Even in that condition. That is how righteous our forefather Abraham was. This is commentary on verses we're not even at yet. All right? But you have to know this to know where we're going next. Three. So God appears to Avraham as he's sitting at the entrance of the tent, recovering. This is where they derive the rabbis, by the way, the teaching that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, sits at the head of the bed of somebody who was ill. How do we know this? Because as soon as Abraham was circumcised, what did God do? God visited. Bikor cholim. We are to emulate the divine, and therefore we are to go to the bedside of anyone who is suffering. Because God, God's self, does that. So God goes to visit Avraham to be, do the mitzvah of Bikur Cholim, of visiting the sick, and to be with him. And 
after that, we get this text that three strangers, three men appear to Avraham that Avraham doesn't know. Okay. They appear to him, and what does he say? Go back and read verse 18, please. What does Avraham say in verse, I'm sorry, verse 3 of chapter 18? My Lord. Okay, stop there. My lords. How is that written in Hebrew? Lowercase. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, trick question. What is it, Zach? Adonai. Thank you, Rabbi. Adonai. Oh. Excuse me. You don't have to be experts in Hebrew grammar. Does that say my lords? No, it's one. my lord. Or does it say Adonai? <laughs> it's both. Adon, master, lord. Adoni, my master. Adonai, my masters, possibly. Most agree, it seems to be ambiguous. Go on, what's the next word? If. Adonai, if, what? I have found favor in your sight. I have found favor in your sight. Zach, what is the Hebrew for your? Um, Imna Yeah, if I have found... Be'enecha. Uh, in your eyes. Tell me, please. Singular. Singular. If I have found favor in your sight, singular. All right, so now we've got, what, what do we know? Adonai, that's already kind of ambiguous. <coughs> then we've got your being singular. Well, there's three strangers. What are we going to do with this? Well, how does it go on? If I found favor in your sight? Please do not pass your servant. Do not pass your servant. Zach, is it singular or plural? Do not pass. Um, it's singular. It looks like that. Oh. Do not please pass. Singular. What do we do with this? Who's he talking to? A collective? Y'all? In Hebrew, there really isn't a collective singular for y'all. It's y'all. It's you if it's singular. It's y'all if it's plural. Maybe they overheard him. Maybe. They overheard him talking to God, and it felt like they, he was talking to the three strangers. Okay. Could God be three essences? Could God have appeared as three essences? So why would Abraham address the three essences in the singular? Because he knows it's God? Because it's, it's one? So he experiences it as one, but they're three? He sees three, but he knows they're one? Do you see why this is complicated? Even at the shot? <laughs> Even at the straightforward translation level, this is not clear. Whenever it's not clear at the simple translation level, this is an engraved invitation to the rabbis. Because they just want to skip right over the middle things and go right to Sod. Right? Because that, hello, three in one. Sounds kind of Catholic, doesn't it? Right? Three in one, okay. Right, so we have two choices. If we're going to go the literal translation, we have two choices. Some of our commentators, Rashi and Rambam, believe he goes to the leader, the one he perceives as the leader. That's why it's in the singular. Meaning, you only talk to the leader, you don't talk to the underlings. Okay. 
possible? Feels a little bit like a fetch. How does he know who the leader is? They're angels. There's a leader angel? Okay, maybe. All right, feels a little bit like a fetch. That's one interpretation. The other commentators say it is God he's talking to. Because what happens? Just, just go with me. I'm not being linear. Just go with me. This is how we do this. God appears because Abraham has been circumcised. God comes to visit him. Then three men appear. And Abraham knows he has to go greet them. And he has to offer them hospitality. That's who he is. He's a spiritually attuned human being, always looking for the opportunity to bring in the stranger, to bring in the one without a place, to bring in the one at the margins, at the edges, the one who needs a place to be safe, a place to rest. That's his work in the world. So he says, Adonai, God, who has come to visit me while I'm sick. Adonai, if I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass away while I go offer them food and water. What is the profound teaching here about Bikur Chalim, about visiting the sick, about, the, I mean, about welcoming the stranger, about hospitality? What's the teaching? Where do the rabbis go? Mitzvah. How big a mitzvah is it? Why? What's the proof that it's a biggie? You walk away from the man. You don't walk away from God for a small mitzvah. <laughs> he leaves God and says to God, please don't pass away while I go attend to these people. That's where our teaching begins. Adonai appeared to Avraham at the terebinth of Mamre. We have it in the text. It's it said, he said, what if what, what <coughs> did show up? We don't know. God shows up. Go, go back. Go back. God shows up. That's another class. What, what, how? What that means? That, that's another class. Right? We're not going there tonight. But that's what happened before we get to then three men, is what we're told, appear. We know later they're angels. And... Abraham says, Adonai, if I found favor in your eyes, do not, please do not pass away. First of all, it is not normative for the person of lower status to ask someone of higher status, excuse me, please don't go anywhere. I got to get this. I'll be right back. Right? That, so even if we go with this interpretation that he's talking to God, we, it's still hard for the rabbis because they're like, you don't ask a higher status being to wait for you while you go attend to something else, even if it's urgent. Like, you put that off. So it's, it's odd already. And the other question that our text is going to ask is, where exactly would God go? <laughs> right? P please don't pass away. Don't go. If he's talking to God, uh... God is everything. God is everything. Where's God going to go? That Abraham's so worried about. That's where our text opens. So let's look at our text. Maybe uh, what we're overlooking is that God would want him. He knows that God would want him to take care of the stranger and that he would be doing God's blessing thing. Clearly, the rabbis go there that that's what God would want. 
Because God doesn't strike him down. It's, excuse me. Right? It seems to go just fine. So it seems, yes, that there's tacit approval on, let's read it that he's talking to God. Let's accept that because the rabbis are going to go there. And by the way, the rabbis don't have one reading as right and one reading as wrong. There's lots of levels of reading. There's a level where he's talking to the strangers. There's a level he's talking to God. Right? That's an underlying level. So he talks to God, and then everything goes okay after that. So clearly for the rabbis, that is God's tacit approval that Abraham has made the right choice. So it's very clear for the rabbis that God is fine with us. Is what a mistranslation? Lords. Says here's lords. My lords. Lords is a translation of Adonai. Yes. Yes. The Hebrew says Adonai. <laughs> right? The Hebrew stays ambiguous. Is it Adonai or is it my lords? Both are accurate readings of the Hebrew. Um, Adonai is what we say when the Torah says yud heh vav heh. The Torah doesn't use Adonai a lot. It uses Elohim or yud heh vav heh. We as Jews say Adonai when we encounter yud heh vav heh because we can't say yud heh vav heh. Right? It's ineffable. So we have to substitute something every time that name of God appears. So Torah actually doesn't use Adonai a lot. Um, David? Is the, the question of you know, where is God supposed to go away, is it connected to the time of day? Like being, being the hottest time of day, it's probably noon. So noon, there's no shadows around. There's no darkness, no evil anywhere. And so with the passing by of the sun, come the shadows, comes the night, comes the cold, change of season. Does that have anything to do where, where, where God would be going? Like a time climate thing? For the rabbis who are dealing with this text, the question is, God can't go anywhere because God is always eternally present. God is omnipresent. That, that's where they focus kind of on, God's never gone. There may be shadow, that doesn't mean God is gone. Right? Now, we could spend another three classes talking about what is darkness, what is evil, is it an absence of God, is it a diminution of God's presence? That's a whole other discussion. But for them, where would God go? It means literally when he says, please don't go anywhere, where's God going to go? So it's kind of a crazy, it's a crazy, they're getting it, it's kind of a crazy question for Abraham to ask. Quick question. Um, I feel like, when he's, is he talking to God? Is, could he be praying? Is that the same word in Hebrew, talking and praying? When you're praying, you talk, I don't know. Uh, we don't get a lot of prayer in Torah, ever. ever. So you talk to God when you're attending, and when you have to go do something else, it's kind of hard to talk. That's where they're going. Right. That's, where, that's where we're going. <laughs> of course. Bless if you're talking to God, for the rabbis, if you're talking to God, what are you doing? Right. So you're praying. That's exactly where we're going. Could it be also that God physically appeared to Abraham? Let's say God was sitting in the corner having tea with him around. And then this other three guys showed up. So I wouldn't want to leave you, God, there. And I would be afraid that if I do go to tend to the new people, just don't leave. Because physically he might not be present there when I come back. Sure. 
So could it be that he sure. physically appeared? Don't change your concentrated beingness here, being here-ness. Don't change that while I go get these guys. Right. Sure. Okay. So, possibly. Yes. Yes. Why not? Absolutely. But first of all, he's lower status, asking God to wait. Really? So that's a little awkward. All right, here we go. We're going to look at this text. The, the commentator on our text is uh, Rabbi Nancy Flam, a founder of the uh, Institute for Jewish Spirituality, of which Rabbi Cheryl Lewert was in the founding cohort of rabbis. I was in the second cohort of rabbis, the cohort just after her. Um, I finished when I was six months pregnant. That's how I know. I did it ten and a half years ago. I finished ten and a half years ago, that program. So our commentator in the English is Rabbi Nancy Flam. The text we're looking at itself is written by Rabbi Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl, known as the Me'or Enaim. Rabbis are known by their most famous works. So often he'll be referred to not as Rabbi Menachem Nachum, but as the Me'ore Naim. Because his text, his famous text, is Me'ore Naim, what lights up the eyes. Right? So, I don't know. Uh, 1700s, 1800s? 1800s, I think. Um, so look, you're going you're gonna to buy the book and you're going to have the introduction that's going to tell you about the sources. Uh, in our book, but it's 1800s in Poland. I'm pretty sure. All right. In the tractate Shabbat, you with me on page three? Yes. All based on pass not away, right? That word, that the end of this verse we just studied. Pass not away. Now you know the text. Now you know the context. What is the spiritual teaching that our masters teach from this? In the tractate Shabbat, tractate is always pointing to the writings of the rabbis, to the Talmud. In tractate Shabbat, so we're going to get a quote now from Talmud, Rabbi Judah said in the name of Rav, we always teach in the name of our rabbis from whom we learn a text. If we don't, it's considered stealing. Copyright did not begin Right now, it, intellectual property started as early as the Talmud for us. We believe that we teach in the name of our rabbis, which is why you'll often hear me say, I forget where I learned this. But, right, because we're supposed to teach in the name of who taught it to us. Rabbi Judah said, In the name of Rav. So, Judah learned from, Rabbi Judah learned from Rav, a famous rabbi. The welcoming of guests is greater. Then greeting the Shekhinah. We just saw that whole proof, right? I gave it to you early so you could enter this part of the text easy. For scripture says in Genesis 18.3, Pass not away, I pray you, from your servant. Said Rabbi Eliezer, Note that the ways of God are not those of man. Among people, a lesser person could not say to a greater one, Wait until I come to you. But Abraham was able to say that to God. So what's the first teaching? God does not have an ego. ego. God is different from us. It's okay that Avraham, who's a lowly human, could ask that of God. Because God doesn't have an ego problem. We do not have a God who demands or needs, right, constantly to be worried about being number one. 
Although we're to live in a way that we evidence that God is number one. Yes? Okay. We must understand this verse that says, pass not away. How could this be said with regard to the presence of God since the whole earth is filled with God's glory and there is no place devoid of God? I'm going to go ahead and neutralize the gender because I'm going to. Um, there's no place devoid of God, right? Maloko ha'aretz kavodo. The whole earth is filled with God's glory. We know this every time we daven. Every time we pray, we say, Maloko ha'aretz kavodo. All the world is filled with God's glory. So where was God going to go? There's no place empty of God. How then could one possibly say, pass not away, as though to assume that afterwards the place would not contain God's glory? This is simply impossible. I love that. <laughs> it sounds like a duh. I love that. There is no place. It is not possible for there to be any place devoid of God's presence in our world, in our teaching, in Judaism. It doesn't happen. When we say it's a God-forsaken place, there is no such thing. For us. We must also understand how Rav's claim that making guests welcome is greater than greeting the Shekhinah. How can that be proven from this passage? Might we not say that in performing, in the performing of that commandment, one also evokes the presence of the Shekhinah? What's the insight here of the Maori name? What's the new insight? As long, so, hold, so take off the return to God part and say that again. He, he can say, can you wait? While I go. While I go here. And his, his intention is to return. His intention is, stay with me, to greet the Shekhinah. Yes. Don't make a choice. Don't think, God forbid, this is a choice between Abraham leaving God and going to pick the strangers. What if, says the Meor Anayim, his whole kavanah, his whole intention is not to leave God, but to turn this way and go, hang on a minute. I gotta go greet the other parts of you. I'm gonna not, God forbid, leave the Shekhinah, the divine presence. I'm going to greet the divine presence whose form right now coming over the hill is three men. Okay, so let's go. Okay, we're gonna follow the or and I and go, okay, maybe, maybe. That could be. Maybe that's true. Might we not say that in performing, in the performing of that commandment, one also evokes the presence of the Shekhinah? Commandment after all. Now we're going to get another play on Jewish words because this is what we do. Mitzvah after all. When you're talking about the mitzvah of welcoming strangers... It's a mitzvah, and what is mitzvah? Oh, I can't print. What is mitzvah anyway? What's it made up of? Let's look. Commandment, after all, is called mitzvah because it joins together. So he's going to play on, don't read just tzav, command, but tzavta, to bind together... The part of God that dwells within the person 
with the infinite God beyond. Well, that just plays right into Reconstructionism. It sure does. Which is why we can study a text from 1800s Poland based on a scripture that's 2,000, 3,000 years old, and we're in a Reconstructionist progressive synagogue. Boom. That is the power of reclaiming these teachings. They have been in traditional Jewish circles, and we have not had access, largely because they were not translated, nor were they commented on by teachers who were trying to make them accessible to us. And give it that spin. And give it that spin. And we live in an age where, thank God, this is now coming into our hands as rabbis, as students, right? It's finally being given to us. Because how long would it take me to chew on the Maori Naim's text in Hebrew? I can do it. I can translate it. But because I can translate it from the Hebrew doesn't necessarily help, necessarily help me get at what it means. Right? You have to learn with a teacher what it means. Nancy Flam taught me what it means. Because I read the chapter. Right? You're going to read the chapter. The reason I'm starting with the text, then you're going to read the chapter, is because now I've walked you through it, you'll see what she's talking about and it will be easier to follow. Because what I want to unlock for you is that you can do this. You can access the deep, esoteric, exoteric, spiritual texts from our tradition. Now. It's fantastic. All right. So what did I just say? What, 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 did, what did the mayor and I just say? That was a big one. It may be then that the mitzvah is not really greater than greeting the Shekhinah, but rather that it too contains the Shekhinah, and in fulfilling it, one has both commandment, mitzvah, meaning greeting the stranger, and tzavta, joining together, being present to God's presence that we thought Abraham had to leave. That is going to be the foundation of the Maori Naim's teaching for us tonight. You don't have to pick. The whole insight here is we don't ever have to pick between serving God and serving people. Serving God and being present to every detail that's unfolding in our lives right now. The gas tank needing to be filled. Our child screaming because they're having a tantrum and they're hungry and they're tired. Whatever it is, Whatever document needs to be printed because someone doesn't have a copy, it is not a choice between serving God and attending to those things. We do not have monasteries. We are not a people that builds ashrams. Why? There's nothing wrong with them. Because it's totally accessible. Because what's totally accessible? God. God is totally accessible at all times, in every place, in every single thing you're doing. Always. Now, how many of us feel that way most of the time? <laughs> right? The Maori Naim is not saying, well, of course you feel God when you make copies. Right? The Maori Naim is saying, come, understand, know that even in making copies, one doesn't have to turn aside from the service of the Holy One. God forbid. But reading this, what I don't understand is basically he's saying that even though it says pass not away, he didn't really mean that because he knows that God's not passing. I mean, so it's... it's wait, 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 wait. Good. Hold the question. You're right. You're right. We've not proven why pass not away is here. Yeah. 
We're going to get there. He goes there. He's brilliant. He's totally going to go there. Good question, Lori. Very good reading. Very good close reading. And the Maori Naim is brilliant enough that he's going to get there. Do you see? You understand what she asked? Then why did he say pass not away? Why is that even there in Torah? If Abraham knows he can serve God by serving the strangers, why does he say pass not away when he knows he's not going anywhere? Well, he doesn't know that. Ah, why doesn't he know it? Because he's Abraham, he's the first. The first guy. He doesn't know how the rules are. He doesn't know the rules. David? Yes. So basically, the three men that he has to take care of represent you're saying right there is you can find enlightenment in everyday life. You don't have to become a Buddhist monk up in the Himalayas. Exactly. Exactly. So Lori's question is, then why did Abraham say Maybe in verse 3, pass not away? Why? Maybe out of respect. Ah, so let's see. What does the Maori and I say? Let's look. The truth is, however, that the real fulfilling of any commandment lies in the greeting of the Shekhinah in becoming attached to God or joined together, meaning greeting the strangers and being joined to God at the same time. Thus the rabbi said, the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah, meaning that the commandment is rewarded by the nearness to God. Let's go on. Okay. It's a long text. Okay. Go down to the next paragraph. This is what really happened to our father, Abraham. He was engaged with, in discourse with God, right? Greeting the Shekhinah. As we learned from the verse, Adonai appeared to him, meaning yud appeared to him. In verse 1, when he saw the guests coming, he asked of God that there too, Lori Krauss, while he was to be engaged in welcoming the guests, Pass not away, I pray you, from your servant. Verse 3. There too may I remain attached to you, so that it is not to be an empty mitzvah. Be with me, so that I may perform the mitzvah in such a state that it too will be a greeting of the Shekhinah. Why does Abraham say, pass not away? It's the same as saying, stay with me. Stay with me so that we know God's not going anywhere. We already answered that question. God can't go anywhere. So why does Abraham say pass not away, Marilyn? He wanted to retain the divine presence within him. So he wanted to retain the divine presence within him. So that? Because he could merge the So that when he goes to greet the strangers, may I understand that as a way of serving you, that I'm doing your work. Come with not come with me like you might be somewhere else, God forbid. Help me feel my connection to you even as I go to the copy machine. <laughs> Let me trust and know that in making copies for my students, I am bringing them into your presence. I am making your wisdom, your enlightenment accessible to the Jews of KI. Because we don't often connect those two things. Especially when I approach the copy machine. 
right? Percussive maintenance is usually what I'm busy doing at the copy machine. And it wasn't me, it was Eleanor, I want to be full disclosure. It was Eleanor who made these gorgeous copies for you and cut out my comments on the margins. Those are not my highlights in your text, by the way. They're my partner, Judy's. So you're studying what she thought was interesting. Marilyn, do you want to say something else? That's, that's exactly the teaching. Where, where, Can she say it louder? Can you say it louder, Marilyn? That for me, perhaps the deeper meaning is that we do these secular things which seem, which are misbelled, but then to, to keep in mind the divine consciousness that is, we're connected to as we do. Did, did you hear that? Yes? In some way, it's sort of it's a reminder to not take things for granted. How, Danny? Tell me. Um, well, to cherish every moment and to uh, and just and and maybe to give of yourself a hundred percent, even if you're just making copies. And you know what I mean? To really be present and give give of yourself, no matter what you are doing. Because be you can just make copies. Why do we have to give of ourselves a hundred percent? Why? Just make copies and then kick it if you get frustrated. What's what's the problem? Because you expect the same of God. Because you expect the same of God. I want you to be present to me, God, 100%. Then I better be willing to show up. That's another teaching we're going to go to uh, in one of these texts. Is, or, or actually, Nancy Flam asks a question at the end of her commentary on this, Jackie. She says, so who's it dependent on? In our text... Who is it dependent on? Abraham says to God, pass not away. Right? So is Abraham saying it's on God? Or is it on us to take God with us? And she says, of course, because we're Jews, it's both. Right? That, that, we, that God has to do some of it. Right? And of course we believe and trust that the universe is filled. All the world is filled with God's glory so, and presence. So, of course, it never passes away from us. We just forget. Or we turn away. It's just to say that the average things that you do every day are worthy of the moment and they're worthy of godliness. Good, Millie. This is a very, very important point that Madam Wexler brings up. A very important point, And that is, don't think, God forbid, that making copies is beneath you. Or that it's just every day. Take that word just out of everything. Only. Take it out. Right? Because... Everything we do can be greeting the Shekhinah. Everything. Therefore, nothing is beneath us. And in that way, there is some connection to, I think, you know, wipe on, wipe off. Mm -hmm. Right? That teaching, doing the dishes is, right? That, that when, because we're not completely different from Eastern traditions in that way when we get to our own mystical tradition. The teaching is, if you are aware, if we are mindful, if we are courting, our awareness of God's presence in all things, then it is so. It's when we don't go there that, it's, that it, it feels different for us. So that's the why. I asked you why. Well, we can just make copies and then kick it when we get frustrated. It changes something about the quality of our lives, which is why I hope you're in this room. Why are we come here? You're tired. You've had long days. And, and you came here anyway. Why? Because I really believe the teaching is, 
It can change the quality of our lives, the experience of the depth of our own lives. When everything we do, or let's just say 2% more of what we do, we can see as divine service. And I don't mean that in a cheesy, flat, you know, happy kind of way either. There are some days it is the only way I get out of bed. I will not lie to you. Some days it is the only way I climb out of bed and put on makeup, curl my hair, and put on high heels. Because I just don't feel it. And it's been a late night the night before, and my daughter's giving me problems, and the dog still has to go out, and there's days it's like, you know... Sometimes the, when we can return to that place of, you know, it's all the unfolding of the one. And this is your unfolding of the one today, girl. Put your heels on. Get the mascara out. Right? The, you don't have to want to do it. You don't have to like to do it. This is the unfolding of God in your life today. Okay. Ready or not. Ready or not. Here comes the day. Ready or not. You have work to do in the world. Get busy. You don't have to like it. But just resting in that sometimes carries us through. My neighbor across the hall is dying. He was fine six months ago. Or we thought. He's 61 years old. He and his wife were going to retire in a few years. They're both attorneys with one disabled son and mentally disabled and one who just sat for the bar last week. Sometimes it's the only way, right, to move forward is... It's the unfolding of the one in this way, at this time, and it all, it's going to happen to me, it's going to happen to you, right? And it's his, because you know, sometimes there's just no place else to go. But this can hold us and root us and be the cradle that allows us to move forward or just stay put sometimes. It can change the quality of our experience. Yes. Lord. Another way of saying it is that God is there in that moment. God is there when you're washing dishes. So it's just a matter of whether you want, whether you make the decision to look at that and to focus on it and to evoke that presence or to ignore it. Yes. And that there's a difference for us when we wash the dishes complaining and grumbling, I have to do everything around here, you know, like my feet all day. This too, right? There's a difference in quality for us of our experience when we go, okay, this is the way I love my family today. My family's an expression of God. I am an expression of God and this is how I'm relating to them right now is I'm cleaning up the dishes from our dinner. Okay, just that, just that shift contributes to a different kind of life says our spiritual masters. Somewhere along the way, and in discussing this kind of thing in another time, the story of um, Moses seeing the burning bush. I mean, the story goes, I remember that he probably walked by this bush every single day. And then one day... The bush is always on fire. And the bush is always on fire. And then one day, he paid attention to it. He stopped and looked at it, and it spoke to him. And that changed his... It changed the rest of his life, didn't it? So, because the Torah tells us, because the rabbis do a similar thing, our spiritual masters do a similar thing with that verse of Torah. And Moses turned aside to look 
and he saw. And they say, here is the basis of all mindfulness practice. We must stop. We must pay attention. We must look. That, that takes a turning aside from the way we normally think about things to look. And it's only when we do that that it can become clear to us what's happening, which is that the bush is on fire of a low ukal, but it wasn't consumed. So if it were a commandment, it would be to make everyday acts holy. To make every moment, every encounter of every day, a way of serving the Holy One. Absolutely. And so the, I don't know, I don't think it's this text. I think it's another one in this section. It, it's not a chapter. It's kind of like section one. There's a little, there's Nancy Flam's piece on this text. Then there's another part of section one. But in Nancy Flam's piece, she brings another text in here that we're not going to do tonight where she's, where it says, this is a very holy level. This is a very high level of attainment is to be able to do that all the time. Because most of us, frankly, are just lepers. <laughs> Most of us just go to work and we get really frustrated when we're cut off in traffic. I mean, that's just how, and we kick the copier. That's just how it is. If we get two moments a day where we're like, wow, okay, I got it, I got it, I can do this, I can do this, that's great. Um, and that's why we need practices that bring our attention back to that awareness, one of which is Shabbat, 100%. But there's lots of others. And it's, I mean, for me, it's frankly, I know it sounds trite, but it's mezuzah. The mezuzah on the door. There's mezuzah all over this place. So several times a day, I'm invited to remember, Amy, as you leave this room and enter the next thing you're about to do, remember, please. Right? And it's all one. Shema Yisrael. It's all one. Right? So there's lots of ways for us to build in reminders. To, to take us to that place. Mark? Yeah. Um, you know, this brings my mind to Odadi. So Grateful am I before you. When you before you're even out of bed, if you frame the thought, acknowledge the Neshama, and then go forward in exactly the way you taught, it begins before the physical. So can we set the intention from the moment our eyes open? for setting up a possibility that everything will be an encounter of the Shekhinah. The rabbis say, yes, we can do that. We struggle as human beings to maintain it all day, but we should maybe... So this class, I hope, won't just be an intellectual exercise. Is there a way for you to set that intention before your feet hit the floor? Because often, what I, I live on Sunset. So often, my first thought is, God blessed motorcycles. <laughs> Garbage trucks. They wake me up an hour before my alarm. An hour before I have to get up. Right? So my first thought in the morning is generally not the happiest one. So, um, but the rabbis say, so what? Pra having practices is all about shifting the way we're thinking. So I can have that be my first reaction when I wake up because I'm up an hour before the alarm. Again. And then I can say, Mode Ani. 
grateful am I, Moda'ani, that I woke up to be aware that there's a garbage truck. That's the shift. That's the discipline. That's the practice. That's the goal. I hope that you will take the time to think in your own life as we study these texts, what does that mean for you? What, what do you want to take from that in terms of what's for you next and to try? And it could be you try it for a week and then you try something else for two months. Linda. And I, and, um, I just wanted to say, I feel like um, listening to this, uh, although we say God is always present, in a sense it's our acknowledgement of God that brings God into being. So we kind of have a whole responsibility to try to do that as much as we can. Like when we say there's a God forsaken place, to me that means that there are no human beings who are acknowledging God in that space. And I don't know if that's a correct way of thinking of it, but I kind of feel like we're in partnership. It's our role to bring the divine into the world. That is very much a part of Jewish mysticism. It is that when we do those things, we increase the divine shefa. We increase the divine overflow in the world. We intensify God's presence in this world. And I want us to be very careful about not using words like correct and incorrect. Wherever you go, that's an insight. Wherever you go in this room is an insight. There is no correct or incorrect. Yours just happens to be, yes, well within the normative, Jewish, traditional, mystical way of understanding the world. Is it God forsaken? Yes. Okay, might mean nobody here is increasing the divine presence by their acting in ways that are holy. Yes. That's our job. That's our... In a place where people are not acting like human beings, just try to be human. Hillel, the great Rabbi Hillel. Right? So... Yeah, sometimes it's that. Just, just don't act like an animal. When you're around a lot of people who are acting like animals, just be a human being. That is huge. That's holy. That is holy a lot of times. Yes, sir. Where do, um, where do the servants that are mentioned here, where do they fit into this? Uh, they... In the actual story, they turn out to be malachim. They are angels. The servants? Yeah, they're strangers. Three guys, but it's Servants, servants. Yes. Oh, who? Abraham's servants or the ones don't that the appear? Ones that are mentioned here. Don't, don't go past your servants. Well, I, I don't have that text in front of me. What does it say? No, oh, don't, don't. Do not, go past, do not go past your servants. He's talking to the Lord. He says, there's a servant. There's another. Abraham is the servant. Oh, he's a, In general, servants in that period of time were employees. They were slaves. Ah, very interesting that you bring this up. How would they treat it? Rick Farber. <laughs> now you're going to be on iTunes. <laughs> All right, so I probably should not say names, huh? Okay, so, or at least not last names, Rick Farber. Okay, so, <laughs> servant. <laughs> it, it's interesting that you bring this up. It's really important. What's the word in Hebrew? Eved. Servant in English. Also... Slave. Ebed is slave. Avadim hayinu, hayinu. Lefaro b'mitzrayim, b'mitzrayim. We were avadim. We were slaves to Pharaoh. Slave, servant, Ebed. 
the noun of eva, the noun of what they do is avodah, work. service, work. Yes. What does avodah also mean? Prayer. Prayer. Service. Meaning? Worship. Worship. So, Rick, yes, there were many servants. About 70% of the population would have been servants. Supported by, I mean, 30% were supported by 70%. Slaves, servants, 100%. Eved is the same word for Eved Hashem, a servant of God. So did they get the same hospitality or they don't? It's not a miss, it's not a big, it's what they treat them the same as they treat everybody else. So Abraham is calling himself an Eved, right? He says, do not pass by your servant. I am your servant. Abraham was a wealthy man. He was a sheikh in the region, right? Please do not pass by your servant. So it is polite, it is elegant language to say, I'm going to serve you, but if I know that I have all the power, what does it mean that I'm serving you? So in, in Hebrew, it's true that he's, it's a, it's a, he's, he's wealthy, he lives there, he's a citizen. Oh, no, he's not. Sorry, he's not. He lives there. He has lots of folks around him who are his clan. They're visiting. I mean, at this point, they're, you know, they're visiting because um, he's in Canaan. So, but he's connected and he's wealthy and he's powerful in his circle. So a stranger comes, they are the most vulnerable. Strangers in the ancient Near East are the most vulnerable of anybody other than you know, unmarried women and children um, because they have nobody to protect them. So he calls himself their servant, knowing he has full capability of murdering one of them on the spot with no repercussions, really. I mean, who's gonna, who's gonna protect them? So. That whole idea of that um, using of that language that's exactly the opposite of what it's saying is right here, though, in the meaning of the Hebrew itself, which is a servant, meaning a slave, and we are servants of God. Right? It's both the worst thing you can be and the ultimate goal is to be an Eved Hashem, is to be a servant of the one. It's, it's a very important thing for me that those words are not separated for us. Because so often we want to say slaves are somehow other, right? You know that that's a whole different experience than anything we want to be about. And um, for me, that the the best you can be and the worst you can be is in one Hebrew word. It's the ultimate goal of our spirituality is to be of service to the one, um, and it's the word we use for the abject poverty of slavery. All right, I want to look with you at Nancy Flam. I want you to look at what she has to say on this text when she says on page 7, going to Rick, Rick's point, in the, in the middle of the middle paragraph on page 7, right? So long as we still cleave to the blessed one, any or all of our actions might be understood as avodah. 
as service. In the Menachem Nachum text, Abraham clearly wanted not only to fulfill the mitzvah of greeting visitors with physical acts, but he wanted to do so, quote, with absolute wholeness. She's quoting, right, the Maori name here, as an act of avodah, of service, connected to a sense of God's presence every step of the way. He wanted to stay connected, playing on this word savta, like right within the word mitzvah, cleaving unto God, greeting the Shekhinah, as he switched from one form of worship, avodah, to another. Rick, so you're bringing up exactly the point of the teaching. In his being an avodah, by doing lowly work, he wants it to be avodah, service. The high priest serving on Yom Kippur, it was called avodah. It's not a different word. We're not even fetching this. This is literally the translation. In being an Evid, in being a slave, a servant to these strangers, he wanted to see it as avodah, as worship. Right. Um, I want to go in. We're getting near time to close. I want to go to kind of the point. Why are you here? We're going to study theology, we're going to study text, we're going to study spirituality, we're going to study mysticism, we're going to study all this stuff. I want to go to Rabbi Nancy Flam's concluding paragraph on page 11. This teaching, recorded over 200 years ago, transmits a surprisingly powerful message to our contemporary hearts and minds. Like spiritually serious Jews of all eras, we seek to deepen our sense of God's presence and our awareness moment to moment, while at the same time staying connected to a life of obligation, relationship, and celebration in the world. Jewish tradition, after all, never created a system of monasteries and ashrams unlike other religious traditions. The test of our spiritual practice is found in how we live in the world. Amid the many challenges of everyday life, we seek wholeness, the complete wholeness of Avraham, where every act and every moment of consciousness, no matter what the form, is filled with a sense of connection and presence. Perhaps we might make it a practice as we conclude our final prayers of the morning to call out the words, pass not away, as we turn ourselves to engage in the sacred work of worldly obligation. As we leave the sanctity of our homes, wherever it is that you feel that sense and that communion and that awareness of purpose, when we're ready to leave that moment, because we always have to go back to doing the dishes. Nancy is saying, maybe we should call out, pass not away. Help me stay connected to the beauty of this moment and the awareness of the holiness in everything as I move to the next thing where I might not feel it. Right? When a deer comes up to the window, okay, in Duluth, not here. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, 
when the okay when the hummingbird stops outside on the balcony before it takes its you know path, pass not away. You know, can we find a way to to invoke a real desire to carry that into what comes next? Pass not away. Let, let, let that moment not be just another separate moment from, right? That awareness not be absent from what I'm about to go into. Can I remember, even just for a half a second longer than usual, that this too is an unfolding of that, is an unfolding of the Holy One. How about making everything meaningful, bringing meaning to everything, from the washing dishes to the hummingbird to the deep, to the coyote? That is the work. That is the avodah. That is the service. That is the servitude, right? That, that is the schlepping. That's the real work, is to open more and more moments within those regular, everyday interactions or activities to open those up to the potential of our awareness of serving or being an image of, of you know, that this too is service. Jackie? I was just going to say, And maybe because he was in pain and hot and tired and recovering, he says, pass not away. I can't do it the way I normally can. I need your help. He was a great tzaddik in our tradition. He was a great tzaddik. He was a man of very high spiritual achievement. He was way up there. But we all have times where I can't do it by myself. So he prays to God in our text. Don't, don't leave me. Help me carry your awareness into this next moment because I don't have it right now. That's a model of humility, right? It's a model of being mortal, of being weak. And I love that about our tradition too. It's a glorious thing that other traditions have perfection as their model. We don't have that. That's not who we are. It's like he's saying how hard it is to get out of bed. This was a hard, hard day. And it just felt like schlepping to get up and go greet these guys, right? And so, I mean, it's one way to read it is that he's so he prays to God, don't leave me. Help me understand this as a way to serve you. Because right now, it's not, I'm not feeling it so much. And that to pray to God to feel God's presence because we don't feel it, that's so Jewish. I don't feel you, so I'm going to pray to you to feel you because I'm not feeling it. But how do we do that? We pray to God. Because <laughs> we're not feeling God. you got to love that. So, um, so, take the words of uh, Rabbi Nancy Flam home with you. You'll read this chapter again, I hope. Now that we've studied it, I want you to read it again. It'll make reading the next part easier. Um, it's about exercising those, mu- those muscles so that we start to learn how our spiritual tradition reads these texts. So I want you to read for next time Jeremy Kalmanovsky's piece, Seeking the Sacred Self. We're not going to go through every piece in this book. We're going to pick the ones that I like. Um, 
it'll take us like six years to get through the whole thing. But uh, but I but I do like I, I do want to do this um, seeking the sacred self because I think the way they've organized this book is to introduce these concepts. One is today in everything you do, know God, understand, right? In everything you do. So that's the concept we learned today, tonight. And next time we're going to learn about seeking the sacred self. Make sure I have your email so I can talk to you about things that um, come up or something I want to tell you before next class or, or just share with you. Um, because that way we can stay a hevra. We can stay a, a learning group even when we're not meeting. So it's only y'all on this list. Thanks for being here.